Reading from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down to Jerusalem from Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happens during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thanks, Sam, for reading that. Uh, do keep it open in front of you. It's lovely to be here with you. Um, I met some of you, oh, let me pick this up, last week uh, when Jules and I and the boys were introduced. Um, and thanks very much for your patience as we try and remember names. I've got a name badge, you don't, but we're doing, we're doing our best and we'll, as we get to know each other. Let me pray for us as we come to look at this uh, terrific passage together. Heavenly Father, we live in a world where things, things are very often changing, our work situations, our families, the health we enjoy or don't enjoy, world events, and yet we know it's in your Son, Jesus Christ, and his words, they're the things that remain unshaken and solid. So please remind us again today as we look at the Bible together, remind us that we are near him by his word and are united to him as we trust what he says. Help us to find comfort and courage in his promises. Help us now as we think about what you've said to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at this passage, here's a question for you to think about. It'll, it'll pop up on the screen. It's this one. Have you, how have you grown in the past year, the past 12 months? Are there signs of growth? Are there things that would be standout for you over the past year? Maybe you've learned something else, done something else. You think, yeah, that's a real point of growth as a person. Maybe as a family. And we're concerned about growth, aren't we? Years ago, one of the times I went home, I think it was from uni, uh, back home for Christmas, getting ready, ready for Christmas dinner, as my bottom was on its way from standing up to reaching the seat, before it even got to the seat, my mum said, You've put on weight. She's a lovely woman, terrible timing. Um, right before Christmas dinner to say something like that, it's outrageous, isn't it? 
But my growth over the previous year had now been put firmly in the spotlight in front of everyone. Just one roast potato for me, please. We're concerned about growth, aren't we? Those of you with children or maybe grandchildren, you'll know as well, growth is one of the great joys in life, them them learning to waddle and then walk as they, they hold on to things and wobble around. And then when they finally stand, learning to babble and to talk, we enjoy growth. Or I think of other good friends who have four delightful children, watching them grow, but then noticing one, one of the kids wasn't really growing the way they'd expect, and the enjoyment of growth at that point gives way to concern about the lack of it. Now, thankfully, the problems were able to be sorted. Look, we, we enjoy it with growth. We enjoy it, and we're, we're concerned about it, aren't we? For some of you, there's maybe been work growth that squeezes out almost everything else. I read just recently... 2017, the average worker had about 120 emails to deal with a day, 121. The bad news is this year they reckon it'll be 140. If you can manage to fit work into eight hours a day, that's 17 and a half an hour you've got to deal with. It's loads, isn't it? Loads of things to deal with. Talk about growing. You're just trying to keep your head above water. So it's a big question, isn't it? Are you growing your family? Are you growing your family growing? Or Thinking about Christchurch here as a church family, what are the joys in growth? What are the concerns in growth? If you've got any of those and you want to think about them, you'll want to hear what God says in this part of the Bible. We're in Acts, as we've just read, dropping back in partway through chapter 11. If you want to know what's going on, Luke, who's, who's writing, tells us right back at the beginning what the driving force uh, of his book is. The very first line, he says this in my in my former book, Theophilus, that's who he's writing to and maybe for, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And as soon as you read that, you get what he's saying. This is part two. His first book, Luke's Gospel, covers the heart of the Christian message. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, return to heaven, taking the penalty for our sin so that he could offer forgiveness to anyone who would trust and ask. But Luke's saying he won't stop there. That's that's what he began. Uh, this book we've got open in front of us is, is what he's doing next. He's returned to heaven, but he's still the driving force for everything that's going on in the world. And, and the big picture of this book, well, Jesus said to his closest followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The, the big picture of this book is for the eyewitness message about Jesus to go out to everyone and to grow and grow and grow. Chapter 11, where we're picking things up, this message about Jesus has been received by someone who's not even Jewish for the first time, a man called Cornelius and his household. You can go back and read that if you want, but it's what Jesus said his good news is to be offered to anyone, everyone in the world. And we're new here. I don't know everyone yet. Maybe, you, maybe you've come in. Maybe you've come in for the first time this week. The past couple of weeks, you're, you're wanting to find out, yeah, is, it, is it really true? And maybe the other question you've got, I don't know. You, maybe you're thinking, is it for me? Would it be for someone like me? Well, if you're wondering... The Bible says it, it is for you. It's offered to you as well. 
That's a launch pad for what comes next. Come, come look at it with me. If you've got it there in front of you, verse 19, that's where the reading started. It's a funny mix of a story. Did you think that when we read it? There's all sorts of things going on in it, isn't there? Little noodly bits. There's been persecution. Loads of people were scattered. And as they settled in different places, some spoke only to Jews. Others, verse 20, some of them who were told landed in Antioch. Antioch was probably the third biggest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It's a big deal, Antioch. Some landed in Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks, people who are not Jewish. Lots of people, it seems, start following Jesus. And the guys in Jerusalem here, so they send a trusted man, Barnabas, to check it out. But later in the story, we hear that Barnabas gets Saul, who's sometimes called Paul. And they teach the church for about a year. Then right at the end, Luke decides to tell us about one thing that happened during that particular year. It's a funny little passage, isn't it? You read it and you think, what, what's going on? What's this all about? Why does Luke put this in? I don't know much about wine. I enjoy a glass from time to time, and I, I love playing the amateur expert. Do you ever do that if you have a glass of wine? Slosh it round, start saying things like, definitely getting citrus. A hint of oak, vanilla, burnt leather. They're, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, when I read the back, it's usually quite different. I've heard other people saying that kind of thing. I like to join in. I've no idea. But for us amateur experts, maybe you're like me in that. We're, we're looking for something distinctive, aren't we? The key tastes that kind of flavor the wine. I think with a passage like this, if you, it helps to start thinking a bit like a wine taster. You want to slosh it around and get the flavors that are going on in it. Verse 22, see that? When all the excitement starts building in Antioch, we're told, we're told news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, that's a significant thing. Peter and the apostles, huge numbers of believers. That's a big, bold flavor when you read the church in Jerusalem. And yet that flavor comes back. comes back again in verse 26, but with a hint of something else in it now. Do you see verse 26? So for a whole year, but now we're in Antioch, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. Same word, same significance. These guys in Antioch, they're just as much the church as those guys in Jerusalem. And here you and I are in Cambridge, the church. One of the flavors that comes through this passage, we're, we're being given a taste of the church. And if you want some headings to follow through, they'll, they'll come up on the screen. They're on the back of your handout as well. Here's the first one. It's it's a church that's grown. That's the flavor of this church. Three times there's a mention of numbers, if you spotted them. Those people sharing the good news when they came to Antioch. Verse 21, we read this, and, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Then when Barnabas arrives, verse 24, and a, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Down in verse 26, there is again. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. We sometimes say, don't we, numbers, numbers are not the important thing. It's quality over quantity. It's being faithful rather than being full. And I get that. There's a truth in that. It's just three times in this funny little passage. The Bible keeps saying, 
Yeah, but did you notice the numbers? You look at the numbers. They are important, at least a bit. Not in the way we often use, and often when we use numbers, you'll be like me, we do this, it's so tempting at times. We, we use numbers as a way of saying, I'm better than you, I'm, I've got more than you. You realize at that point, numbers are not really the problem. Boasting's the problem there. But no, think of it this way. Think of, think of the dad who buys his daughter a special gift, and as she gets it, she knows what it is, and she knows the number that's attached to the cost of that gift, and it's a great number. And he's enjoyed spending it on her. And she enjoys what that number means because it, it sums up in some way the relationship they've got, the love she knows this father feels for her. And as soon as you think of, of it that way, you, you know, don't you, some numbers can be enjoyed without any boasting attached to it. Or you think about the concerns you have for family and friends, maybe finding out about Jesus. And you think about hearing great numbers of your family, great numbers of your friends, great numbers of your neighbors have come to trust Jesus. And you realize you can be concerned about numbers without wanting to boast about them. And you think about those concerns and the possibility of their joy attached to them. And you read a passage like this. Funny little passage tucked into this book of Acts. You read a passage like this and you discover the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus says, numbers like that matter to him too. So it impacts the way you pray, doesn't it? Maybe some of you here are dads and you work hard during the week and you're wondering if you give enough time to your kids. And there's just a couple of times during the week where you, you rush home so it can be you who gets to read the Bible with them that night before they go to bed. So well done if you do that. There's a cost to it, isn't there? And then before you go to bed, and maybe you kneel down by your own bed and you pray for the three of them that you've got in your house that God will grow them. It helps praying, doesn't it? Knowing that Jesus knows all three of them. That he's counted each of them. And your God is concerned for them. I think about another friend with three sons. They've grown into young men now. One's graduated, one's still at university, one's in sixth form. Three numbers, three, three young men. One of them is following Christ. Two are not, the older two. And I guess some of you will know the heartache of that, of seeing children you've loved grow up and not share your faith. The anxiety that comes with that. And it's good to know, isn't it, when you read a passage like this, those numbers in your family, they're not insignificant to God. Your children, your friends, your neighbors, their number matters to him. And you, if you're visiting this morning, not a Christian yet, wondering if it's for you, uh, this passage kind of says when it talks about numbers, you've been counted in. He counted you in. You weren't missed. Jesus enjoys when great numbers are brought to him. You begin to feel that about this God, and you think, this is a God I want to pray to. This is a God I can trust, who's concerned about those kind of things. You warm to him. And here in Antioch is a church that's grown. There's no boasting like that, the way we would, just joy. And here's the second thing. It's a church that's grown, but it's a, 
a church that's grown by Jesus. Do you, do you remember Luke says his book is really going to be an account of what Jesus continues to do, and he'll do it in the power of the Spirit. I don't know if you picked up that flavor as we read, but it was all there. Verse 21, if you've got it in front of you, we, we read this, the Lord's hand, that's Jesus, was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is Jesus at work. And even when Barnabas arrived, see what we're told, verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. What Jesus said right at the beginning of the book, Jesus at work in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a church grown by Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for me as a Christian, that all seems very exciting. You think, do I want to be in a church like that, a church grown by Jesus? Of course you do. So make sure you spot what this passage is telling us about the way Jesus works by his Spirit. Because this passage says he often works through human means. You got that, didn't you? Generally, people are not zapped into becoming Christians. Jesus, well, Jesus works as people speak the gospel message to other people around them. From the outside, it looks all pretty ordinary. But this says when that's happening, it's as if Jesus puts his hand on you and fills you with his Spirit. Here at Christ Church, who, who grows the church? Well, Jesus grows it in the power of his Spirit as the message about him goes out. How will he do it? Now, honestly, let me ask you, the other week when you saw Darren Colt, if you were around for Holiday Club, or maybe you saw some of the pictures that came up on the screen the Sunday after, when you saw Darren Colt in his orange and white shell suit at Holiday Club, was your first thought, well, here it comes, the hand of the Lord in the power of the Spirit. Was that the thought that went through your mind when you saw that picture of Darren and all his loveliness? No, you didn't, did you? You didn't think that. Or you think about yourself as you speak to colleagues at work. Is that how you think? Or if you're a mum at home, the house is chaos. There's so many jobs to do, and yet you sit down for a moment with your preschool kids and tell them a Bible story. It all feels very ordinary, doesn't it? But that's how Jesus seems to work. Tell you something else worth noticing, and it's the way things seem to become increasingly organized. Initially, as you read the stories, you follow it through, but initially, it's scattered people beginning to settle in different places. It doesn't tell us very much. You, we've seen on the news, don't we, displaced people, what that looks like. You can imagine all the chaos of it. People moving around, trying to find places to live, sort out work for themselves. There's all that going on. But as they begin to settle, they talk to others about Jesus. It's chaotic, it's disorganized. Neat freaks will hate it, won't they? Some of, us, some of us like everything to be really neat and organized. You know, all our folders at home are nicely laid out. It's all very organized. We don't like it when it's not. But you read this and see, look, Jesus will still work through that, even when things are disorganized. But then verse 22, Barnabas comes, and he's a leader of significance. Things become more organized, and the growth continues. And a, and a while later, great man that he is, Barnabas, he he makes a ministry decision, verse 25. He needs help. I think it speaks volumes for Barnabas that he goes to Tarsus to find a gifted man, Saul, and they spend a year teaching the church in a deliberate 
organized way. So you don't think an organized church is an unspiritual church. Some of us love the chaos a little bit more, don't we? Don't think a, an organized church is an unspiritual church. And for you and me, look at all the busyness of life, among the pressures you've got, whether it's at home or in the workplace. You keep thinking about this question, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow spiritually? Well, I think this passage would say to us, make sure you make use of the ordinary, organized means Jesus uses to grow the church. You're coming along and you're thinking, I want to find out if this stuff is true. Can I say, make use of the ordinary, organized means that Jesus gives. It's been a busy week. You could just lie in. But come on Sundays regularly, week in, week out. Get involved in a small group, listening to God's Word taught. Those of you with kids, as they, as they begin to get a bit older, mine are, mine are eight and six, and already they say things like, why are we going at times? And there's this persuasion that takes place uh, that has to go on. We, we have to hold our ground. It's hard at times, isn't it? If you're a parent like that, hold, hold your ground, persuade them. It's hard work. It's hard work at times, but you want them to grow, don't you? And this is the way Jesus grows the church. The ordinary, organized, week in, week out, hearing the message of Jesus. It's where we and our children will come under the hand of the Lord. It's where we'll begin to discern the power of the Spirit, where you can encourage those in your family. Don't give up. Pray to the God who's concerned. Because we want to be a church that's grown by Jesus. And here's the last thing. A church that's grown, a church that's grown by Jesus, and a church that's grown in grace. About a year ago, our family had a, a new addition, a puppy who's now grown, bigger than we expected initially. And so we're dog people now. My wife, Julia, I blame Julia because I can't believe that she let me talk her into letting me get a dog. (laughs) It is very irresponsible of her. That's the way blame works in our house when I do something wrong. But we've got a dog. And all that comes with a dog, early morning walks, pathetic looks for attention, mainly from me, Leads and dog food and toys, a face at the window when you're coming home. His little face comes up to the window and looks out. And because a dog is a certain kind of thing, because a dog is a certain kind of thing, a life with a dog, a real dog, is always going to grow in a certain kind of way. You can imagine that. You know that, even if you're not dog people. And if you know that, you'll also understand this. That because the message of Jesus is a certain kind of thing, a gracious thing, and because Jesus is a certain kind of person, the gracious and saving God you meet in the Bible, life with Jesus, the real Jesus, should always begin to grow in a certain kind of way, grace-filled way. Let me show you a few things that I think Luke shows us about this church in this passage. Here's a church that's grown in the truth. Just dropped in in verse 23. Have a look at it if you've got it there in front of you. When Barnabas, it's Barnabas we're talking about, when Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true. There's truth in this church. And there's a, there's a content of belief that he says, you've got it. But encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. 
And you also realize it's not just truth, is it? Their commitment to truth is, it's not, first of all, concerned with intellectual accuracy, that we can pronounce all the theological words. It's, it's concerned with relational loyalty. They want to know the truth about Jesus, not just so they can articulate it, but so they can stick close to Jesus, remain loyal to Jesus. Do you want to grow that way in the truth? And here's a church also that's grown in unity. The end of verse 26, again, another funny little line Luke drops in. Uh, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It was probably an insulting nickname given by the people around them. But one of the things it shows, I think, is people knew they were an identifiable group. For all their differences, age, gender, social status, some Jewish background, many more Gentile background, what marked them out to be to the people looking in was that they followed Jesus Christ. And it was meant as a kind of insult to them. But the church began to take on what was probably an insult and wore it as a badge of honor. It says something about them. You'll have experienced that, won't you? Someone finds out you're a Christian and they say, oh, you're one of those Christians. And you feel it inside, don't you? I want to distance myself a little bit. I don't want to be one of those. Or, uh, you don't go to that church, Christ church, do you? I've heard about that. And you feel, oh, I'm, I'm not really like that. No, these are guys who, when those insults come, they began to wear it as a badge of honor. Yet yeah, that's who we are. We're united to each other. I belong to them in Jesus. They belong to me. Have you found yourself growing that way over the past year? And the last thing, look, here's... Here's a church for whom generous care matters. It's this funny section, verses 27 to 30. I kind of imagine Luke, who's writing this, saying to the Apostle Paul, look, I've got to the point, I've got to the point in the book where I'm going to talk about that year you spent teaching the church in Antioch. I'm writing about it. Give me something stand out. Pick out one thing from the past year, and I'll put it in here. What's the thing you want to give me? Maybe it's a lecture you gave, Paul. Maybe it's a debate you won. And we get this. Agabus predicts a famine. And the church in Antioch, every one of them to a woman and a man, decide to give what they can to help the church back in Judea, people they've not met really. But you know why? Because Jesus, because Jesus is a certain kind of person, a life entrusted to him and grown by him, is always going to grow in a certain kind of way, a gracious way. And these guys have grown in grace. I ask this question of myself. I read these things and I think, have I grown, have I grown that way over the past 12 months? I wonder what you think about Christchurch. Has Christchurch grown that way over the past 12 months? How, how do you grow like that? You read these things and think, for all the stuff I might want to grow in, how do I grow like this, in truthful loyalty, in, in dedicated unity, in generous care that flows out? Now, we can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. But I think Luke is writing this with this message in this book. He would say, but Jesus can, the power of his Spirit. And he does it through the ordinary means of his word being taught to us. At 12 months from now, how would you like to have grown? And what would you like to pray for? From a God who's got you counted. 
and who's concerned for and enjoys your growth wherever you feel you're at at the moment, next 12 months, could help you grow. Well, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to hand back over to Steve. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words about your church, about your church that's shaped by your Son, who is gracious and kind and concerned, who loves his people, counts them, and wants many to come. And here we are, we find ourselves with all sorts of things going on. And at times we feel we've not grown the way we should have or could have. And we wonder if it would be for us as well. And your word encourages us to think it might be. And so we ask you, please would you help us to grow in this kind of gracious way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.